Good morning and welcome to the broadcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. Hope you guys are having a great week. Tracy and I just got back from uh, trips to Florida and up to Indiana to be with some amazing people who did a lot of recordings and messages and things. So if you want to listen to me on the podcast, uh, you can go on to YouTube or you can go to my Facebook page or Instagram page, all the social media stuff. and You'll find all kinds of links there. And uh, and just, you know, these days all you got to do is just search on YouTube and the latest message will pop up from wherever we've been. If you want to follow along in real time on Sunday mornings where we're going to be uh, or whatever conference we happen to be in that's live streamed, all you got to do is go to BillVanderbush.com, go to the schedule page and take a look at the date, the place we're going to be. And here's here's the other part, though. And that is if we happen to be anywhere near you and you can get out and be with us in person, that would be especially great. Most every one of the churches or conferences that we are going to be in has a link attached to the name. It's on the schedule page. Just click on the name of the church. If it's underlined, it'll take you to the event page and that way you can get all the details. So, well, we're back here in Austin for this weekend and we're taking a rare weekend just to be at home and rest and uh, and and really just enjoy settling in back into to the city of Austin. It's such an important place in our family's history and, and for my mom and dad especially. And so as we drive around the city, it's just so interesting to see how the Lord has, has uh, blessed the city in the middle of the challenges of growth. And I feel like that that's sort of the way it's supposed to be for all of us. We grow and with every ounce of growth in our own spiritual life, there's some challenges that come with it. And yet the Lord is present there with his hand upon you to guide you through every challenge. And it's interesting how we run through this cycle of comfort and challenge in our life, don't we? You know, it's like we find ourselves striving somehow to get to that place of comfort. And then once we get a little bit too comfortable, it's like we go out and we want to be be challenged all over again. And so we go back and forth, like a two-step process of moving forward in this life, back and forth between comfort and challenge. When you find yourself over-challenged, you get burnt out. When you find yourself overly comforted, you get complacent. And so this two-step cycle of growth is typically how we plod our way forward in some cases or sprint our way forward depending on how much enthusiasm you carry into the journey. So I pray that you today find yourself to be not just motivated but but moved in your spirit, but moved in your heart, uh, moved to to draw your attention and affection away from the endless number, the billions of distractions that are out there. There's more media out there than one person could absorb in 10,000 lifetimes. You know, the massive amount of choices that we have almost makes us, uh, me, I'll just say it for me, almost makes me want to just shut everything off for just a moment to, to come to this place of simply listening and saying, like Samuel said, uh, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And in that place... You hear the God of the universe come in the in still small voice to the heart of a child who who ends up shaping the culture of a nation. And you know, all of the things we could listen to, you can gain knowledge and you can gain instruction, you can gain self-help, you can even gain some wisdom here and there. But when you hear from the voice of the Lord, you gain transformational revelation that changes you from the inside out. And so that's what I pray this podcast is for you, 
not just more noise filling up the air, but transformational revelation that changes you from the inside out. You know, I had somebody uh, say to me some time ago, said, you know, I, I listened to one of your messages and, uh, and I said, yeah, what, what did it leave you with? They said, actually, it left me with so many questions. And sometimes when you feel like you've got a lot of questions, uh, you, you can sort of feel confused because without answers, you can, you can default to confusion. Like, I don't, if I don't know something, I must be confused about something, right? But, but questions are actually a gift. And part of the word question is the word quest. And a quest is a gift. I believe the Lord draws us into a quest and into a journey. And through that quest, if we're willing to say yes to it, he will unveil some things to us and form within us his heart. Remember the story of Hosea, which I've referred to many, many times over the years. Hosea uh, is told by the Lord to go and marry uh, a woman named Gomer who's a, a prostitute. And um, basically he's told, you know, marry her and, and, and then be faithful to her. And granted, you know, She's going to have a lot of kids. Maybe they're his, maybe they're not, you know. But uh, Hosea names them a whole bunch of really depressing names. And and then uh, one day when she finally finds herself in such a downward spiral that she hits pretty much rock bottom, she's on an auction block. And Hosea discovers this. And he goes and he spends of his own wealth to buy his own wife back. And when he does, he says to her, now you will not go out again. And it's not a statement of control, because if he could have controlled her, he would have done that on day one, right? Um, who wants their wife to go out and, and do that, you know? But on on this day, in this moment, suddenly Hosea has the realization, because you know how loved you are, now you discover something about your identity that shapes how you see yourself. And when your your perspective of how you are seen by another is shaped, it changes what you do. It changes your behavior. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we've got to see how God sees us. Because when we discover how loved we are by the Lord, we discover how, how uh, adored we are by him to the point where he would give up his own life, that God, the God of the universe, would submit himself to give his life for us to ransom us back and demonstrate just how loved we are. If we can truly see that, it will shape how we live and how we do life. And so God could have simply just zapped Hosea with a revelation of his heart, but instead he takes Hosea through a process. And in that process, Hosea's his, his heart is shaped and formed so that when he speaks the word of the Lord, he does so with the sound of the frequency of heaven. It's not just the, the words you say, it's how you say it. I saw somebody posted the other day, I thought this was so beautiful. He says, you know, tone is to words as tune is to music. And you can sing the right things, but if you're out of tune, it doesn't matter. Nobody wants to hear anything you've got to say. And you can speak the right words, but if you're out of tone with the heart of the Father, it doesn't matter what you have to say, nobody wants to hear it. And so today I pray that we all find ourselves in in united melody with the heart of God, harmonizing to create a beautiful sound where, you know, where we reflect the, the nature and the character of his world. And, and it will take, I think, some time and process for us to come to that, that place. And so the process he brings us through is through a quest and through questions. 
And so if you have questions today, don't consider yourself confused as much. Consider yourself invited into a process whereby the Lord will form within you something beautiful. The Bible says you began a good work and you'll be faithful to complete it until what? The day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And to the day, until the day of Christ, the revealing of Christ. The Bible tells us that it has not yet appeared what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. I hope you're Googling these things because I really want you to take the interest in writing writing down and searching out and studying these, these passages in context. Today I want to take you to an obscure portion of scripture from the book of Acts. And this is after Paul has left uh, Athens. He's been on Mars Hill. And around chapter 18, if you'll go there with me today, I just want to take you to a place in the scripture that probably doesn't get a whole lot of airtime on Sunday mornings. But I think this is kind of a fun place. Uh, Paul has been going pretty faithfully to the to the Jews. We think of Paul as going to the Gentiles. But this is the part where he, he actually decided to be done with the Jews. He's going into cities, and as he would go into a city, he would go to the synagogue of the Jews, and he would reason with the Jews about Jesus from the scriptures. And some believed, and most of them got really angry and and uh, uh, kicked him out. So in verse, uh, in verse 4 of Acts chapter 18, says here, he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. So, Paul had a better rapport with people who had no religious law-based system uh, than, or, or at least a, a different than Judaism, than his own people here. And so, of course, his heart is for the Jews. But now he's saying, "Look, I'm I'm going to go to to where people actually have an appetite for what I'm serving up here." So he, in verse 7, says, Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul by night in a vision, keep in mind, this is God coming to Paul, and this is what he speaks to him, Do not be afraid any longer. But go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. And so in verse 11, it says, Paul settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Where Gallio was a proconsul of Acacia, the Jews, with one accord, spoke up against Paul, rose up against him, and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of, of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. 
But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge in these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. Now, I love this story because if this isn't a picture of religion, I don't know what is. This is the the Jews who are defending the old covenant law-based system of doing life. And keep in mind that old covenant system came from God. But God gives us tremendous freedom really to do what we want to do with what he gives us. So what happens when the Lord gives you uh, a command, you know, a series of commands like the law, and and then you take those. Let's say we take what God gives us and we twist it. I want you to understand it is totally possible to take a word from God, a legitimate word from God, and twist it to something that God never fully intended. And that twisting can often make it seem like God must have never spoken that at all. Well, what we don't often realize is within the context of those twisted words, there's there's a shred of truth. There's often truth that has been covered over by the opinions of man. And this is often what happens within the prophetic movement. You know, you get a prophetic word or somebody gives a word and they know that's from the Lord, but the application of that word can often be um, um, completely wrong to the point where you realize, you think to yourself, oh, they never heard from God or it wasn't even a right word. Well, possibly it was a right word in the wrong hands or the right words, right word in the wrong heart. And that's the way God seems to do. He plants his word in earthen vessels of clay. And so often you, you and I have a, a, a real, I think, a need to pray a prayer that goes something like this. God, would you please give me language for the impressions that you give me in my heart? Would you please give me language for this so that if I communicate it to another person, if I communicate it to other people, that I communicate it accurately and correctly? Because what we want to do is to represent the Lord well and to represent him rightly. And so in this case, though, the Jews, the, the religious leaders of Paul's day, who are seeing the old covenant system collapse and disintegrate before their eyes. It's under constant threat. The apostles of Jesus have gone gone out and they've turned the world upside down. That's what these guys are saying. Now they see that it's coming to them. And, and these people who see that their entire system is under threat decide they are going to take their case before the cultural judgment seat of the day, believing that the leadership in the city will back them up. And so they they come in and they say, hey, these guys are trying to persuade men. Listen, verse 13, this, this is their case, are persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. So what Paul was giving people the license to do is to have a relationship with God purely through Jesus, not through sacrifice, not through works, not through acts of penance, not through uh, all of the things that they thought they had to do to please God and to be right with God. Paul was telling them because of what Jesus has done, there's a new and living way where you've entered in by grace where you can come boldly before the mercy seat of God. We can come before the throne of grace. The humorous part of this story is the guy who's sitting on the throne doesn't care about the law at all. 
And he ends up kicking them out and saying, guys, if you want to judge this man, you're going to have to do it internally. In other words, this is going to have to be a relational issue because I'm not coming down and dropping judgment on this guy. It has nothing to do with me. Now, why was Galileo able to do this? Why, why did he not care? Well, because the kingdom he was representing had nothing to do with the law of the Jews. And I'd like to suggest to you that today we are in a similar situation. The new covenant is the kingdom of God. And Jesus Christ sits on the throne of that kingdom, eternally reigning as a king, never under threat. So the opposition that Paul was getting from the Jews fell on deaf ears when it came before the judgment seat. And listen, the opposition that you get from religion, the opposition that you get from an old covenant mindset, Listen, it'll fall on deaf ears when people bring it before the judgment seat of Christ because they'll discover that they're living with a mindset that is of a different kingdom. But what we want to do is persuade people to, to the freedom and the grace that Jesus provided for on the cross and continues to provide for every single day and will for all of eternity. But it isn't just spiritually rooted religion, rooted in, in the things of Yahweh and the things of God that will oppose you. It will be other religious systems because it's what religion does. Because there's no life in it, it creates a machine-based system. Let me show you another place in the scripture where this happened. This is jump a couple of verses ahead to Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 21. Said after these things finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. After he had passed through Macedonia and Acacia, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there occurred, and listen to this, no small disturbance concerning the way. Now listen, is it going to be about theology? Is it going to be about some idea about whether Jesus is the Messiah, is not the Messiah? Um, what, what are the spiritual activities you're supposed to do in the new covenant versus the old covenant? No, that's not what's going on here at all. Paul has got a whole other system to deal with here. It says in verse 24, A man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. And he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades, and he said, Men, you know our prosperity depends upon this business. You see in here that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of our great goddess be regarded as worthless, and that she, whom all of Asia and the world worship, will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage, and they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with confusion. Okay, let's stop for just a second there. I want you to go back through the story with me and let's see what we're dealing with. The first thing I want you to see is the scope of Paul's impact. 
You remember earlier at the school of Tyrannus, Paul stood in one place teaching the word of God, preaching the gospel, and within the course of two years, all of Asia, it said, had heard the word of the Lord. So the gospel literally covered all of Asia without any social media, without any uh, electronic benefits at all. And that is purely miraculous. And here's how we know how deeply this went. You got a guy who's a silversmith and he is making little shrines to their goddess. And of course, that's where they got their wealth. And Paul comes along and this is what he basically says, and that is gods made with hands are not gods. In other words, these idols have no spiritual authority and spiritual power at all. Now, whether Demetrius and the rest of the silversmiths actually believe this or not, <clears throat> listen, the, you understand, their god is money. And this is exactly what Paul is threatening. When he is setting people free from a system, he is collapsing the system financially. And this is often what religion hates the most. And that is, <clears throat> religious systems depend on financial structures in order to prop them up. And a lot of people get their livelihood from that. And so when somebody comes along, they start preaching the freedom and the grace of God. Sometimes people will take and turn their financial uh, uh, gifts from one message to another because you're fueling whatever message you sow into. Now, you know, this is one of the most... I think one of the most maddening things to me, and that is uh, when I when I watch the body of Christ fuel fear-based ministries that prey off of people's fear in a way that doesn't instill faith, but actually preys off your fear, preaches a defeated devil back into business. And we find ourselves going backwards, in a sense, to the point where you can believe that the devil's bigger than God, or at least an equal and opposing force, you come to this idea that in your mind, whether you say it out loud, subconsciously, I think a lot of people believe the cross hasn't even really accomplished anything. The idea that the devil is defeated, it gets lost on us when we, when we start magnifying the works of darkness, as opposed to revealing what many of the works of darkness actually are, which is just the activity of human beings who carry authority who are actually walking in alliance with a voice and an influence that is not like God. Look in verse 26. He says, you hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people. And what is he doing? He's going around liberating people from religious strongholds and systems. You know, if you have to like buy a silver idol uh, to to somehow a shrine to show your your allegiance, your devotion to this goddess, what if your neighbor's got a bigger shrine than you do? So now you're going out working to somehow impress other people with with the the shrines you have, and, and so the silversmiths are making a killing here. And so now he says, look, a considerable number of people all over Asia are turning away from our goddess because of this guy. And he says in verse 27, he says, not only are we going to go broke, but people may actually regard our goddess as worthless. And that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. Now, let me say this. 
If you have a God that can be threatened, your God is not Jesus. You understand what I'm saying here? If you have a God that can be threatened, your God may not be real. When we look around at the world and we see all of the things that are going on, the evil in the world, all we're seeing is the blindness of people's hearts, people that God loves, deeply loves, bled for, and died for. And when we see people walking in blindness, often we find ourselves in a place of judgment against them because, of course, of the evil that they do. It's offensive to our conscience. But we can find ourselves then wrestling against flesh and blood so deeply, getting entrenched so deeply in a flesh and blood fight, a battle for ideology, that that war can begin to make it feel like the kingdom of God is not just under threat, but doesn't even exist at all. And pretty soon we can begin to believe that the kingdom of darkness is actually stronger and the kingdom of light. And again, let me say this. If you have a God that can be threatened, if you have a God whose magnificence is being tarnished, then you might want to consider letting go of that because Jesus Christ cannot be threatened. His throne cannot be tarnished. He cannot be dethroned at all. He never has been, never will be. Even to the point of death, he still was on the throne. Even in the grave, he still was on the throne. Even taking the keys of death and hell, still on the throne. Even walking around among us as a man, still on the throne. From the beginning of time until now and for all of eternity, Jesus Christ will still be on the throne. And that's why we're told when nation rises against nation, kingdom against kingdom, listen, what do we do? We don't worry about this. We don't get concerned about this. Why? You lift your heads up, redemption draws nigh. In other words, your redemption is nearer than you think. The Redeemer, why? Is in you, lives within you, is always at hand, and his kingdom is never under threat. And so recognize that as you preach the gospel, what we do is we are liberating people. We're giving people an offensive amount, as I spoke about in the prodigal son's message a couple of weeks ago. We give people an offensive amount of freedom, and then we give people an offensive amount of grace as they even mismanage that freedom, because sometimes it's through that mismanagement that they find a path to come to a revelation of what it's like to have communion with the Father, to know the Father's heart. You and I are, are here to, to tell people that the Father's love and His grace are actually real. And like Hosea, to over and over and over again affirm the reality of that identity to the point where finally, even if they hit rock bottom, they come to this place of realizing now they are so loved they know they never have to go out and live under the crushing weight of a false identity again. You know, one of the biggest crushing weights of a false identity is the identity of a religious system where you can't ever measure up, where you can't ever do enough you can't ever quite be as holy as the holiest person in your church. But listen, grace equalizes us all, brings us all to the table with the Father so that we begin to discover how loved we all are. And that's why we're told, 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who loves God knows not God, for God is love. 
don't care how much knowledge somebody has, how much it seems like wisdom and insight they have in regards to the things of the scriptures. If they don't have love, then you might be looking at a person who loves knowledge but doesn't know God. To know God is to allow yourself to be loved by him to the point where it transforms and it changes you. Today, as you preach the gospel with the very life that you live in communion with God, as you set people free to know Jesus without hindrance, don't let anything come against you to the point where it discourages you. You're always going to have opposition to the message of the goodness and the grace of God. Don't let it bring you into a place of partnering with a spirit of fear or a spirit of discouragement. You just go out and keep setting people free. And listen, the favor of God will be upon you. Religious systems won't be able to stand. Earthly and worldly systems won't be able to stand. And the Lord will pour his favor out upon you as you declare the truth that who the Son sets free is free indeed. Listen, you can write to us at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. The address, once again, Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. Listen again at BillVanderbush.com. And to support the broadcast, go to BillVanderbush.com. Click on the very first button that you see underneath the heading just says Partner with us and uh, and so many people are jumping on this i'm so grateful as people catch this message listen this is something that uh, we want to continue to go around the world and you help us do it so thanks so much for partnering with us to see that happen until next time may the grace and peace of our lord jesus christ be with you all